colleagues. Uh, this is Karen Tate uh, with Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. And uh, that uh, clip you were hearing opening the show was uh, Be Optimistic um, uh, is it, the band, and the cut was Maria. Uh, and that's in honor of uh, Maria, Mary, uh, some of us uh, call her goddess. So, uh, getting right to today's show, um, we have uh, Susan DeGaia with us. Um, she just did an incredible feat. Uh, she just uh, released her new uh, encyclopedia. It's a two-volume encyclopedia of uh, women in world religions. Uh, subtitle is Faith and Culture Across History. Uh, and I can hear she's getting settled over there on her end of the phone, so I apologize for that. Um, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about her uh, before we get going. Uh, she teaches religion and philosophy at Central Michigan University, and she's a general editor of Encyclopedia of Women in World Religions, Faith, and Culture Across History. Uh, she's an ambassador to the Women and Girls Scepter of the Charter for Compassion, and uh, she's uh, chair of their task force to end violence against women and girls uh, called Partnership for a Safe and Sacred Now. Uh, she's active in social and environmental justice and women's spirituality movements, and she works locally to promote environmental and sustainability and equality and justice through farming and social cooperatives, diversity projects, and political action. Uh, she holds a Ph.D. in religion, social ethics, with a B.A. in women's studies, and she a, a has a graduate certificate in the study of women and men in society from USC. So uh, let me uh, say hello to Susan. It sounds like maybe she got settled there on her end. I apologize for all of that noise. I hope you could hear me. Uh, but uh, let me just uh, welcome her to the show. Uh, Susan, are you there with us? Hi, Karen. Yes, I am. I'm sorry about that. I wanted to make sure and plug my phone in so that it wouldn't uh, die on me. So, yes, I'm here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Okay. So uh, would you try to give us an overview of uh, this incredible uh, project? I know it was uh, an, an uh, there's a, uh, there, it's a number of years in the making, uh, this Encyclopedia of Women in World Religions. Oh, yes. Um, well, you know, I was approached by a publisher who had this title in mind, <clears throat> and uh, and so I just said, yes, you know, I really want to do that. And the reason is because uh, the goal was to cover, to, to bring out uh, in, in our history and knowledge what women have done uh, and how they've been involved in religions throughout history and even back into prehistory and all across the world. So it's a really broad project. Uh, what I did, <clears throat> I had to, you know, design the whole thing, really. Um, so I organized this broad topic uh, basically into three main areas what religions do, what religions say, and how religions organize, and, and with a focus entirely on women, uh, so that anyone who wants to have a more general uh, history of religion would need to go elsewhere, and that made uh, the topic narrow and centered on women and the history of women in religion. Uh, so that we could fit more about women into the book, into the two volumes. Uh, so let me, Susan, so let me ask you, um, what were the primary religions that you covered in the book? Oh, yeah. There's, uh, well, the, all of the major religions of the world, but also um, the the organizing into 17 sections, and I'm looking. Uh, and so those 17 sections are African religions, ancient religions, Baha'i religion, Buddhism, Christianity, Confucianism, Taoism, 
Hinduism, indigenous religions, Islam, Jainism, Judaism, paganism, prehistoric religions, Shinto, Sikhism, and then spirituality. So some of, some of the sections are named for particular religions and some for, you know, all the religions of the continent of Africa, for example, or um, all of what we know about women and religion in prehistory and that kind of thing. And, uh, and just to clarify for listeners, because a lot of my listeners are interested in the sacred feminine, um, it, uh, w- within those uh, categories you mentioned, uh, goddess religion is included, correct? Oh, I mean, that's a really good question. So, I mean, <clears throat> absolutely, um, our audience is, or, you know, our readers for this, uh, it's targeted to to everyone and not only to women, um, but it's uh, it's definitely about women and what women want and what women do and need in terms of their spirituality. And many, many women are very um, interested in uh, the feminine divine or whatever we want to call it, uh, the goddess or many goddesses. Uh, and so... Many of the religions, uh, actually, almost all of the religions other than the three major religions of the West, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, uh, have many goddesses and uh, many ways of looking at the divine in terms of the feminine, its connection with the feminine uh, so, yes, it's the feminine divine is throughout. And one of the really interesting things that happened when, while doing this project uh, and something that I have worked on right from the start was uh, getting those goddesses or names or, or pronouns or anything related to the feminine divine to be respected uh, by capitalizing them. And that has been something that we that you know our society has not practiced very much in the past uh so it's really uh, a a wonderful opportunity it was a wonderful opportunity for me to set um something of a precedent here in how we how we give respect to the goddess or the feminine divine by capitalizing it anytime we talk about it and uh, one of the things I noticed uh, right off uh, from looking at your table of contents and who your contributors were, uh, while, of course, I didn't know all the contributors, uh, I knew many. Uh, many of them have been on the show. Uh, my listeners would uh, recognize a lot of the contributors that uh, you have in your book. Uh, some of these contributors have been in my three anthologies. Uh, the, I, I don't have the table of contents in front of me, but uh, names that come to mind I think, or um, uh, Carol Christ for sure, uh, Rianne Eisler. Um, I think you might have had Max Dashow in the book, Christina Biaggi. Um, uh, it, 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 what would be some of the other writers that you can think of, Susan, um, who uh, lean a little bit more toward uh, uh, the religions that uh, honor the feminine? Ah. Okay, well, there's actually a lot of them, and um, there was a, really a lot of interest um, by, you know, women scholars uh, to make sure that this project would would bring out uh, information about what they are doing, what what how important the feminine divine is to women, and yeah, Carol Chris is one, and uh, she's been very. Uh, gosh, she's been so important um, to to in her study of the feminine divine and how uh, you know in her work on theology, uh, you know, so many books she's written and and she's done so much uh, incredible and important work on in that area. Um, I would say that there are very many of the scholars. One of the important scholars. Um, on goddesses, uh, who I was just thrilled to um, get involved in the project is Jill Hammer, Rabbi Jill Hammer, and she wrote in the Judaism section uh, a, an article titled Goddesses, 
And uh, so she, uh, even though Judaism, uh, you know, has really tended toward uh, there's only one God and that God tends to be uh, understood as male, uh, there have been some um, some Jews who who practice uh, relating to the divine as feminine, and she brought out all she 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 discussed all those many ways um, in her article, so that we can see that uh, even though it, it may appear so and has been so much in Jewish history, that really the feminine divine is there in in Judaism. Okay. Um, yeah, we've, I've had a number of uh, rabbis on the show that, uh, and, and listeners can go back in the archives and uh, hear more detailed conversations about that, in fact. Um, so I'm glad you had uh, that topic in, in your encyclopedias. Now, it's a two-volume set, um, I'm, uh, so I mean it's, it's quite extensive. I'm curious about uh, a couple things. Uh, was there, is there a distinction between an encyclopedia or an anthology? I'm wondering why you called it an anthology uh, rather than, I'm sorry, why you called it an encyclopedia rather than an anthology. Oh, well, yeah, the first thing I can think of um, distinguishing the two is that an encyclopedia is a reference work. Uh, so these are intended to be uh, for reference. Uh, they're briefer articles, they're overviews. So they have a particular uh, protocol versus an anthology, which is a broader term that, that could mean anything uh, that it, that you know brings together various articles into one one book. Okay, and, and usually it it covers uh, you know a, a, a you know an umbrella topic you know an anthology. Um, so um, let me ask you um, about the uh, you know the volumes. Um, uh, what were the stages uh, of of the project? Um, you know, for those listeners out there who are writers or maybe want to be writers, uh, it might be interesting for them to, you know, hear a, a brief account of uh, how you identify the stages of the project. Okay. Uh, you know, I didn't actually finish talking about the, the writers and the feminine divine, and I'm, I'm just looking at um, my list, my title, author title list here. Uh, and someone that others might be familiar with is Vivian Crowley, uh, who is in, uh, has done a lot of work in Wicca, and then uh, Max Dashu, of course, on the uh, Suppressed Histories archives, and she did work on the feminine, uh, well, the shamans and uh, their work with the feminine divine in there really are a lot. Uh, Miranda Shaw wrote on um, female divinities in Buddhism as well as some other articles. Uh, but there's really a lot of names here. Um, so well, yeah, we don't want to go through the whole, we don't need to go through the whole list. I mean, it's 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 quite extensive. Um, but yeah. you, you, you know, you've given okay. a good a, a good. Uh, you know, good uh, you know variety uh, of names there, and and most of those people are in the archives. If uh, listeners want to hear more about their uh, individual work, um, so so tell us uh, briefly about the stages of the project. I know for myself, you know, a book tends to be uh, you know tends to be a five-year project at least. You know, from the time <laughs> of conception of the idea until you actually get it out there in the world, and then the new phase starts. You have to market it. Um, so make sure you tell us, I mean, since this is a reference book, uh, where it can be found and, and if it can be purchased online, and, you know, in case someone wants to have this in their library. Right. Uh, well, I always look at worldcat.org online uh, to find books that I want to read in the library. They list all those near you and they go, you know, tell you where you can find them. However, uh, there may be others that are not listed in WorldCat. 
so if you're affiliated with any uh, university and the, it's also being marketed to high schools, then you should be able to access it there. If you're not affiliated, you can purchase it on Amazon.com uh, or with the publisher, ABC Clio. Uh, the stages. So shall I discuss something about the stages of the process? Uh, yeah, briefly. Uh, yeah, briefly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, can, I mean, this is a topic that that's very uh, really uh, extensive. Uh, the first part of it was getting confirmation that we wanted me that they wanted me to be the editor of this project. So they approached me about it, but then I had to come up with um, a choice of the religions it would cover and uh, a long list of topics, uh, topic titles. They called headword list. Um, before I could get my confirmation. So I did that, and then I went to the Parliament of World Religions, which I had been planning to go for, to for two years. And uh, so I went there with my approval on uh, being the editor of this project and had um, made up some business cards with the project title on it. Uh, and my contact information and gave those out at the conference to get started on uh, finding authors to write for it. So I also did some advertising, you know, on websites. Then, of course, um, I did networking and, you know, people started sending in their information to uh, demonstrate their expertise in various topics, and I would send them a list of topics uh, which they would choose from. So, um, but, you know, um, there was a lot to it. I would have to explain, uh, you know, what was involved and what, you know, what the focus was and everything. Um, tell them, you know, please write in plain English. <laughs> uh, and uh, then I would read the articles they, as they came in. I would do some fact-checking. And then beyond that, um, you know, I, res I would respond to them and ask for revisions if needed. Then after that, it was fun to uh, work on the sidebars, um, select illustrations for the encyclopedia, and write captions for all of the, il for the illustrations. Um, I did collaborate with uh, some of the contributors on those uh, uh, tasks outside of their task of writing articles. So um, I really felt like the contributors were just so generous uh, and helpful. Um, we also did a, a peer review process toward the end so that uh, I got some help in making sure that the articles that were selected would be uh, would be good ones, especially ones that were kind of outside my own area of expertise. So. Yeah. Well, I, I know just um, you know just for the sake of conversation, you know, as one. Um, I'll just call us curators or editors to another, you know, having done three anthologies. I think, um, I, I guess I wonder if you ran into any of these problems because sometimes these were uh, challenges for me as the person trying to put together a book. Um, you know, you would run into someone who was really brilliant um, and had great ideas, but they weren't the best writer and their writing was, let's call it challenged, and you either had to have them um, get some help with that or maybe have to tell them no. <laughs> um, I know <laughs> technology was also uh, a, a problem. You know, uh, you would tell them to submit their essay uh, and give them parameters, you know, the maximum amount of words, the format, and, of course, you know, you always have that 10 or 20% that don't pay any attention to you. Um, you know, you have the ones that uh, don't meet their deadlines, don't answer their emails, <laughs> um, you know, uh, or, or ones that, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe for one reason or another, and it might not be, um, you know, any fault of their own, um, you know, you can't really include it. It's, it's not really... Uh, you know, doesn't really meet the standards in some way. Uh, in some cases, I found I ran into that um, with authors who weren't American or English. Uh, if English was their second language, um, they were brilliant and had wonderful things to say, but 
the writing, you just, uh, you know, you would have had to rewrite it for them practically. And, you know, as a curator or editor, you just don't have that kind of time. And, you know, just to be candid, you know, you don't have to name any names, of course, but uh, for <laughs> the budding, you know, uh, editors out there, I talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the realistic nuts and bolts and challenges of um, gathering so many people uh, of such diverse backgrounds and trying to reconcile all of that. Um, it, it's a big task. Well, Karen, that's, you know, that's really an interesting topic. Uh, there were, uh, obviously, there was, it was a very involved and long and large project, so there were a lot of different challenges. Um, one of them being what you mentioned and what you were just discussing uh, about, um, you know, those who are not very good with their English yet. And I, I just want to say from the outset, there's, there's absolutely no disrespect at all, it, you know, toward someone who is not yet able to write good English. Um, and I think, I believe that there were some scholars uh, who whose articles were included are included in the project, who did not um, have very good English writing skills, but they uh, they were able to get their work included because they went um, and got help um, to edit their work. I was not able to do that kind of editing for them, uh, and there were I can recall two uh, different um, articles. Actually, one of the uh, scholars um, wrote several articles. Actually, both of them did uh, that had to be um, excluded from the project because they were just um, not uh, written in English enough for us to comprehend or for me to take any time in editing them. Um, so. Uh, in terms, you know, I didn't do the copy editing, and, um, and the publisher had someone copy edit, and that was a later part of, uh, you know, that was at a later stage. So at the stage of accepting uh, an article that was submitted to me, uh, you know, I had to determine if it was going to be uh, possible to copy edit it and not have to revise it in any major way. Sometimes I could ask them to to fix it and they could get some help with that. Um, there was there is actually something interesting that happened uh, as a bit of a challenge and um, and it does have to do a little bit with it does have to do in some way with language and that is that some of those who wrote articles about what women were doing in religion say somebody was writing about um, women in a particular rich religion and they would say something like that um, women were allowed to be ordained or women were allowed to perform rituals or, or something of that nature. And it seemed to me they were coming from sort of an inferior position where they, um, they were under reflecting a bias with their, their religion that women were inferior and needed approval and permission by those in charge to do anything. Um, and so I would ask them to change the language and I would ask them to say instead of women uh, were allowed or weren't allowed, I would say women sought or seek ordination or women perform rituals. So it, it puts the um, centrality on women's agency rather than uh, on, you know, the religion is uh, uh, having the power to decide what women can and can't do. I mean, in many cases that is true, but still uh, women do have power. And I'd like to have our work reflect that rather than the other way. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I interviewed a, a lovely woman um, from Texas. I don't recall. I know she was Christian. I don't recall the domination. And uh, I forget what the topic was that we were talking about, but I remember her saying something to me about uh, her, her and her women friends just love to have uh, their pastor over for coffee because, um, you know, that gave them the opportunity to put a bug in his ear about some projects that they wanted to do, and they needed his approval. And, um, you know, if, if it were possible, I wanted to, like, reach through the, uh, you know, the, 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 the ethers and, and take her by the shoulders and shake her and, and say to her, well, what about your own agency? You know, why do you have to, um, uh, you know, it, uh, you sort of kowtow to this male authority? And, and look, and I understand that that's the reality of it in the religion that they are, but the point was, you know, they're, the, they're going to end up being the ones doing the work, and it's so frustrating to have a man as the gatekeeper. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, when, when women do have so much ability and, and uh, um, uh, you know, they, they just sometimes have to step up and claim their own authority in some cases, of course. But uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it sounds like you really do, and and I think that uh, the way that we talk about it, uh, it promotes what we want. So if we talk about it in the way that, oh, yes, this is just fine for women to have to seek approval um, and authority from, you know, the males up high, on high, you know, then uh, then that perpetuates it. So even if it is a reality, I think that changing our language about it can can help uh, change the attitudes uh, and maybe make social change as well. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it could be as simple as rather than say, may I, can I, you know, you can approach it as, well, I'm planning to do this. Um, uh, if you have any suggestions, you can let me know. <laughs> uh, you, you know, go. sometimes it's just just, just in the approach. Um, so, uh, was there more you wanted to say about the um, uh, the stages of the project before we move on to um, uh, the next uh, you know the next questions I had? I mean, I know you said it took three years. It was it was quite a long process. <laughs> It was, and yes, um, there is something I'd like to add, which is uh, the diversity of the authors and the diversity of their uh, of the different religions. Uh, and you know, within all of the religions, there's great diversity. For example, there's uh, at least three thousand denominations within Protestantism alone. So, um, you know, it needs to be it, it needed to be nuanced uh and also each of the the scholars who wrote, you know, really wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure that we had uh authors from all of the different uh you know, classes of people that we have, uh so that no one was ex would to feel excluded, you know, and so we would have uh, topics included that were very diverse. You, you know, uh, on homosexuality, there there are uh, transgender people included in the project, um, and in terms of the writers, to make sure that you know the. You know, in our society, we have a lot of uh, white people who are very successful, um, and to make sure that uh, African Americans, Latinas, and people of all, uh, you know, all ages and uh, abilities and uh, uh, different areas of expertise uh, could be included and have their opportunity to have their voices heard and the, these are all people who appreciate and value diversity uh, and I think um, uh, it was just uh, people who were involved in the project and there were many many of them uh, were really excited about it and they were really uh, happy to be involved with it and so generous with their time and uh, they were they are excellent uh, scholars and writers um, 
and you know we have some young scholars and some very um elder scholars uh well known not well known um so that in terms of diversity it's it was really important to me um there was another you know there were other issues like um uh citation style you know there were some expectations from a publisher that we had to meet uh so they wanted a light citation style, whereas a lot of scholars like to give a lot of citations to demonstrate, you know, that it's not an opinion piece. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I can, I can appreciate that. Sometimes I would have scholars, I have uh, include so many uh, citations. I mean, their essay might have been five pages, and their citations might have been three. Uh, yeah, that can, <laughs> that can be a problem. Um, well, I know you were also a contrib. You were also a contributor, Susan. Um, uh, what were some of the topics you wrote about? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> thank you for asking that. <laughs> uh, so, my favorite piece that I wrote uh, is uh, Mary Magdalene, and uh, that's within the Christianity section. And you know, also. Uh, I wrote all the introductions, so there are 18 introductions, one for each section and one for the two volumes at the beginning. Uh, I also wrote on a dance of Tara, which is a, a new type of dance for women within Buddhism, uh, which is really an interesting phenomenon. My uh, my sister up in San Francisco is involved in this dance, and she took me to one, and it was just so beautiful and fascinating and uh, spiritual, and I really wanted to have an article on it because there wasn't much written about it yet. Um, and wrote on, uh, with Amanda Hayes, wrote, wrote on uh, mystics uh, within Christianity, which is in, was also a fun topic. Um, and then in Confucianism, you know, that's one. And then Jainism is another. I wrote articles um, where I needed to pick up some of the slack that people, uh, that none of the contributors have, you know, there were a couple that offered to write but weren't able to do so in English on, on one of those topics. So I also wrote an okay. article on ecofeminism. Yeah, and, and on meditation. Uh, so there are some articles I was really happy to be able to write on and, and uh, proud to be able to include in, in the encyclopedia. So um, what would you say were, and, and I mean, and those, are, those are great. I mean, you just kind of give an example of uh, how diverse and well-rounded uh, all the topics in the encyclopedia are. Um, but I wonder, are there, um, or, or some, you know, what would you say are some of the most interesting or most important parts of the encyclopedia, if you haven't already mentioned it? Oh, yeah, I haven't um, discussed that in particular. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, it's a really big project, and I could probably go on all day about it. <laughs> I think um, so. Uh, I think I'd like to approach this answer by talking about the. You know, I talked about how I organized it in into three areas, uh, and that's what religions do. So that has to do with the practices, and so. Uh, there are titles that that focus on uh, women's religious practices, such as rituals, uh, artwork, dance, that kind of thing. Uh, and then there are articles that focus on uh, what religions say. So in terms of women, that would be what are beliefs or myths or stories or, or uh, images of the divine that have to do with the female. And so that's a really big part of it. Uh, and then the other is uh, how do religions organize? And so that's how, you know, the organization and the, the roles that women may play within religious organizations. And so that has a lot to do with women's wanting to, uh, uh, you know, be ordained and, and be a part of the leadership of religion and, you know, where they're the ones who are the religion rather than being told uh, what to do, right? Um, and so, but 
on top of those three ways of looking at this broad, very broad topic, subject area, uh, I also included feminism and women's movements in, in most of the sections, many of the sections, uh, and women's issues. And so we have things like what, you know, women's issues, some of the the issues, you know, having to do with gender equality and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, abortion, for example, or um, so just some more general articles on women's movements within particular religions, that kind of thing. Um, Okay. Um, Well, listen, I think um, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, I uh, want folks to hear about uh, uh, some work of uh, Joe Carson. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have about 20 minutes left. Um, We've already been chatting about uh, uh, 35. Uh, The time sure flies. Um, I want to know when we get back uh, what you're most proud of in the project and, um, uh, you know, if... um, uh, you know, uh, you know what, what else you feel like you want uh, listeners uh, to know about, uh, including, you know, what's up uh, next uh, for you. And, um, yeah, so we'll get to all of that uh, right after this uh, quick commercial, okay? How much time? Uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial, and when we get back, we'll have about 20 minutes left to the interview, Okay. Okay. All right, so you just uh, you just wait right there. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. I'll be right back. <laughs> Most okay. people's psychic experiences are dreaming, and it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen. We all hallucinate. We all go into a state of consciousness that, for me, is the collective unconscious. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet, what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes, from the past right around the world, have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness, which is the dream mind that symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales, or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. by Joe Carson, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Uh, it, that's Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about earth energy, sacred sexuality, and also the return of goddesses Gaia. You know, uh, Joe traveled extensively to create this documentary. She traveled to the ancient sacred sites all over Europe, including uh, the Mediterranean. Uh, these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always wanted to see them yourself but haven't, this is an opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at the website dancingwithgaia.com, dancingwithgaia.com. And there's another work of Joe Carson you want to be aware of. It's called Celebrate Wildness. 
I'm going to just leave it there uh, with regard to Celebrate Wildness, um, but uh, I would highly encourage uh, that you Google it. Uh, it's an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. Uh, it's art-laden pages, and uh, you can also uh, get that uh, for $45 from uh, her other website, which is ferraferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. I'll just dangle that carrot for you um, and encourage you uh, to look for it at the website ferraferia.com. All right, so uh, I am uh, interviewing today uh, Susan DeGaia. She is the editor and uh, also, as we've heard, uh, contributed quite a lot of her own writing to uh, her, her brand-new project, uh, the Encyclopedia of Women in World Religions, Faith and Culture Across History, uh, which was just released in the last few months. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. It is a reference book in many libraries if the cost of the book is uh, a little bit more than your pocketbook can handle. Uh, so I want to say uh, welcome back, uh, Susan, to the show. Hi. Thanks, Karen. So um, we were going to come back mm -hmm. and uh, talk <clears throat> about what you were most uh, proud of uh, in this project. Oh, okay. Uh, well, one of the things that I'm really proud of, there's, there's there's two things I can think of right off the bat. Uh, first of all, the vision of the project, the, the overall vision of the project, the breadth and uh, the organization. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, what I was just talking about a few minutes ago about how it's organized. And, uh, you know, while we were on the short break, I was looking at the table of contents and uh, it's just uh, I just love it and you know I know one of the questions that you had, you had asked me uh, in an email was uh, now I don't remember uh, oh I don't remember okay well uh, it's just uh, oh yeah was that how how did I sustain my how was my interest engaged in this for three whole years without waning at all you know and and this is really it it's the subject matter as I look through the table of contents it's uh, it's just incredible it's just so interesting and engaging to me all of it all of the all of the amazing and wonderful uh, history of women in religion so I just love it and um, and I'm very proud of the subject and how how it's organized. I'm also proud of the way it's written. It's very well written uh, and presented on the pages uh, with illustrations and so on. Uh, it was important, uh, you know, the publisher re requested, and it was also important to me, and something that I've practiced a lot is uh, writing in plain language, you know, plain English that that um, people can understand, you know, not something filled with jargon or academic style uh, too much, uh, but at the same time uh, having a lot of density in terms of the content so that there's a lot to learn from, you know, on each page. Uh, so, um, you know, in many ways I'm just really proud of the presentation, the way it's written, the way it's uh, – you know, and the the whole vision of it. Okay. Um, well, and, and I wonder, you know, as as I've done, well, and let me just comment on that, uh, you know, how you sustained your interest. You know, I can totally understand that uh, because some people say, you know, Karen, you've been doing this radio show for 13 years. Aren't you bored yet? <laughs> And you know it's 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 uh, you know there are times when you know it's it's challenging to keep it up every week, uh, but you know uh, there's something to be said for uh, the continuing um, learning that uh, you know that you do. I mean this really sort of feeds me and nourishes me. I love being the one that gets to uh, you know ask the questions that interest me, <laughs> and um, I, I you know I I I understand what. Uh, you know what you're talking about because it's kind of a guilty pleasure, uh, in a sense, to be able to uh, contact someone who's expert in something you're interested in, and um, you know have a conversation with them. And in a way, you know, since religion and spirituality is such an interest of yours, 
Um, Susan, whatever you're doing in the background is really noisy. <laughs> um, I, Susan, Susan, I'm here. <laughs> um, uh, I'm here. Yeah, whatever you're doing in the background, whatever you're doing in the background is really noisy. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to ask sure, you in terms of the contributors. In terms of the contributors. Um, did you have anyone in the book that was a member of uh, the woman priests? Uh, you know, the women that sort of, def you know, defy the Vatican and you know uh, they get ordained offshore uh, so that they can be Roman Catholic priests. Uh, any of them oh, contribute an essay? Oh, uh, <clears throat> uh, in terms of the contributors, I'm not aware of any actually. Uh, <coughs> Uh, so well, that's okay. You know, oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, was it overwhelming? I mean, I know when I've done my anthologies, I've probably worked with, you know, once I narrowed it down to who I was going to include, you know, I probably not had more than thirty-five uh, folks I was working with at a time. I mean, you you had much more than that. I mean, how many contributors are actually in the book? And uh, I mean a rough, you know, don't stop and count. Just kind of a rough ballpark figure. Uh, and was it overwhelming to keep all of those folks organized? Wow. Well, you know, it's it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, it, in terms of the contributors and the number of articles, it got really big. Uh, the the publisher originally wanted four volumes, uh, but their marketing department, you know, did some research and said there would probably only be enough interest for two volumes. So they chose two volumes and, uh, and they suggested about 240 articles. And I don't know, I don't remember, maybe 80, I don't know, maybe 60 authors. Uh, well, we ended up with about 150 authors. Um, and then after the peer review process um, and after my editing work, uh, selecting them, some were, um, some were cut. And so we ended up with approximately 130 um, contributors. Uh, and it was just for me, almost every engagement with these scholars was wonderful and it was it was an amazing opportunity for me to network uh, with these people, to meet these people, um, and uh, to read the, what they were writing, uh, to learn what they, you know, what they had to say. And uh, so um, there were some uh, really um, high-level scholars, uh, and I found that a really wonderful experience to be able to work with them and they were so supportive um, in particular Miriam Robbins Dexter uh, mentored me and so um, we became friends and throughout the project if I had a question uh, about something should I do this or that I would ask her and she was so available and um, just a wonderful kind uh, very, very kind, good person, and so I just really appreciated having her to call on. Indeed, uh, and then when you know, uh, when I wrote my own articles, of course I wanted someone else to, to review them, and so uh, some of these other scholars were so helpful in doing that and generous with their time, and even did a little editing for, for me on my own work and. Uh, some of those really special ones who helped were uh, Miranda Shaw. Uh, Carol Christ, Rian Eisler, and uh, Miriam Robbins Dexter, and there really were a lot, uh, a lot of support coming from these contributors. So it was such a yeah. wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, but, it oh, like this was a great. This sounds like this was a great example of uh, of women helping women. And uh, yeah, uh, Miriam Robbins Dexter, she's been on the show a number of times. She I'm, she might have actually contributed to one of my anthologies. I 
I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, you, you had a, a lot of wonderful, a lot of women giving you uh, uh, awesome help there. So I wonder, um, you know, as we, yeah. we're, we're yeah. down to about 10 minutes, 10 minutes left here, um, would you do it again? And, uh, and if you did, what would you do different? <laughs> would I do it again? Oh, okay. Um, my first reaction to that is, uh, well, I want to keep working, uh, doing interesting things, obviously. Uh, and so I would do something again, but I would not be the only editor again. So pretty early on, and this goes to your question about is it overwhelming, uh, pretty early on, within the first year, I began to realize that this was not really a project for one single editor, uh, but I didn't really see an alternative, and uh, and I had the energy and I had the motivation to continue. So, uh, so I would not do this exact thing again, being the only editor. One of the things that I would definitely change is that me making that noise. Hmm. There is some background noise. One of the things that I would change, okay, one of the things I would change is that uh, it it occurred to me, but I didn't ask the editor, and then we didn't get it, and and I really regret not getting it, and that is having an author title list in the book, uh, in the front matter. And so... um, each article has the author's name at the end of it, but that's really hard for people to find unless they're searching an ebook and looking for that person's name. And there are people out there who have their favorite scholars that they're looking for articles by, and so these these articles are not necessarily listed uh, by the by the person who wrote it. Um, and I think that would make the search for articles and particular authors and topics a lot easier, having an author title list within the front matter. Uh, and so that was a big, a big mistake, not asking for that. Um, and what okay. was your other question, Karen? Um I know. I, I think. I think. Uh, I think you've asked it. Uh, I answered it. I, I, I think you covered it. Um, well, we're about ready to wrap here, Susan. Um, is there anything you wanted to say that I haven't thought to ask you? Want to give you the last word here? Oh, uh, let's see. Um, well, I think you asked what I was going to do next, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, we'd love to hear. <laughs> okay, so uh, I am uh, I'm I'm beginning to uh, do some work on environment. Uh, so I teach a class called Death and Dying, and it's a lot of it is about grief. Uh, and so I'm I'm working on uh, bringing the environmental issues into my death and dying class uh, and designing a new class that focuses, that brings together uh, death and dying subject matter with uh, climate change. Uh, And I'm also teaching world religions, you know, comparative religion uh, at Central Michigan University. Uh, so I'm also very involved in the Charter for Compassion, and they they have a lot of sectors, and um, and you know it's a pretty big organization. It's all volunteer work, really. Uh, I'm receiving, I have received training from them on uh, compassionate integrity, and uh, so learning more about how to extend our compassion out to the world, uh, and you know, self-care and everything as well. So um, I I hope to next year be teaching a class on grief and climate change for them uh, and perhaps bring this course design also to uh, to my work at the university. Um, uh, working in my community also, my local community is very important to me. We um, I live 
uh, surrounded by the Los Padres National Forest. So um, environmental concerns, of course, concern all of us in all of our environments, whether it's uh, in the city or rural. Um, but, you know, where I live here in my here in my own community, I, I try to uh, bring people together uh, around environmental issues, um, you know, regardless of uh, their political bent. I think it's important for us all to, to come together at this time uh, and uh, bridge these political divisions that are so um, detrimental to our society right now. Uh, so, so true. Uh, so teaching and true. compassion, well, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And peace. I I I know you're uh, I know you're very involved with uh, peace work as well. Well, Susan, uh, you certainly wear um, a lot of many um, uh, important and inspirational uh, and educational hats, and uh, uh, you know I, I'm so glad to have met you and uh, you know been involved with some of your projects and. Uh, I enjoyed being at your book launch uh, a few months ago, and um, you know I just want to thank you for uh, you know the loving care you put into this uh, you know incredible uh, encyclopedia, much needed work, and um, you know I want to thank you for telling my listeners about it, and I hope they'll uh, go to Amazon and buy a copy, you know, splurge, <laughs> uh, or check it out at their local library. Um, so um, I, I guess that's about it. Um, and uh, unless you have any closing closing thoughts for me. Well, me too, Karen. I'm glad to have met you, and I'm glad to have seen you at the event. And, and uh, the butch la- book launch was a lot of fun. It was really it was it was really fun. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you so much for uh, you know for uh, being a friend and. Uh, and I hope to see you soon, Karen. Okay, And thank you to uh, the listeners. Hi, I am, yeah. And to the listeners, ahead, yeah. I agree with Karen. Spurge a little, uh, or go to the library. It's it's a great it's a great project, and I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, a great uh, uh, you know an awesome quality uh, awesome quality project. Um, all right, well, that will do uh, you know, do it for us for today. And um, again, thank you, Susan. And uh, to my listeners, uh, I will be back with you uh, next Wednesday. And uh, we will be talking to uh, Heather Godfrey. Uh, and our topic happens to be uh, about using essential oils uh, for things you might not have thought you could use essential oils for. Uh, It's uh, definitely an interesting topic. So uh, please make sure you hit the follow button on my show page. If you do that, uh, you will get uh, a notice in your inbox of every show. And that makes it easy to uh, just click the button that comes in that notice and will take you uh, right to the episode so that you can listen. And uh, if you are interested in making a donation to uh, help me uh, pay for uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine and uh, keep the show on the air, because I do do this as a service to the community, uh, I don't get paid for it. Uh, my listeners, uh, I'm sorry, my, uh, my guests do not pay to be on the show as some um, uh, hosts uh, work that you know uh, some of their guests actually have to pay for the airtime. I don't do that. Uh, this is a service to the community. So if you'd like to make a donation, it's always appreciated. And uh, you can contact me at KarenTate108 at Yahoo.com to find out how to do that. Or just go to my website, KarenTate.net. Uh, when you're there, you can check out my books, my talks, uh, my newsletter, and um, you know, whatever the uh, bees that are buzzing around in my bonnet uh, happen to be at the time. So uh, please do check it out. It is a new website. I'm very proud of it. And uh, um, uh, if you had my old website, I want to mention that because some people have had trouble reaching me. Uh, they tried to go to my old website and couldn't find me and then panicked. Uh, the new website is KarenTate.net. KarenTate.net. Okie doke. Uh, well, thank you very much again, listeners, uh, for your listener loyalty. You are certainly the gas in my tank uh, that keeps me going. 
Uh, I love hearing from you, uh, your comments, your um, show ideas. Um, oftentimes, it's because of you. Um, you know, we have these uh, these great guests. So uh, to close the show out tonight, uh, I mean today actually, uh, we're at a special time instead of uh, the evening as we usually do. Um, I'm going to let you listen uh, to a little bit of uh, my artist Celia, uh, and uh, it's a snippet from her cut uh, called Connected. Uh, so uh, thank you so much, listeners. Until next week, bye-bye. Goodbye to the hiding Peace and love is colliding I've made friends with love